Good morning. Today's scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. My name is Allison Mullins, and I serve here on the worship team, and I'm also a Stephen minister. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven and, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Allison, and thank you, worship team, uh, for always being excellent in leading us in worship. Good morning, friends. My name is Rob. I'm a pastor here at Capitol Press Fairfax. I missed being with you guys last week. Uh, I was away with my boys uh, for the weekend. Thanks to Patrick and Matt Litson for standing in the gap. Um, when I say I miss being with you guys, like, I'm not just saying that. I really do, uh, I do mean that. Uh, Liz and I often remark that we're thankful to be a part of this church family. I was having lunch with a guy uh, on Monday, uh, and he was asking about the church, and I was like, hey, I'm biased, but I just like being a part of that family, uh, not because I'm the pastor, but just because I got, get to be with the people that love Jesus and love me and my wife and my family well. And so I missed being with you guys last week, and I really mean that. Uh, we're carrying on in the Gospel of Mark again and again, looking at Jesus and seeing how these encounters that people have with him change everything. I'm going to pray for us, and then let's dive in. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. I ask that you would save us from being content with just gathering information. Father, we need transformation this morning. Our desire is to be made more in the likeness of your Son. And so by your Spirit and for your glory, would you do that? Would you help us to see your Son and our Savior, Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. These verses have Jesus interacting with two people, and we're going to kind of use that as an outline this morning. In the two encounters we see that we learn a couple of things. We learn the way to Jesus. Uh, and we learn why we should run to Jesus. So we, we learn the way and the why. All right, let's, let's start out with the way to Jesus. Um, I want you to think about this. Different destinations and places make us feel different ways. All right, kids, 
Stick with me here for a second. Kids, right? If your parents tell you tomorrow you're going to the dentist, you're going to feel a certain way, right? If your parents tell you tomorrow you're going to go to Disneyland, you're going to feel a different way. I'm assuming, maybe not, if you feel the same way, let me know who your dentist is. You know, I got to go see that guy or a girl. But, you know, so you, different places, different locations, destinations make us feel a different way. Adults, if I say, hey, I got a business trip at, uh, I'm, I'm heading to Chattanooga tomorrow, you're going to be like, oh, okay, safe travels, right? If I say, yeah, tomorrow I'm heading out for uh, North Korea, you're going to go, what? Why? Right? Like, how? Like, it, you're going to feel a different way about that destination, North Korea, than you do about Chattanooga. Just different emotions, different thoughts. First verse of our passage. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I would imagine for most of y'all, when you read those words, Tyre and Sidon, they're, they're probably just words, right? Like you don't know how to feel about that location and that destination. All right, let me insert my plug here for a good study Bible and for understanding and learning something about the Old Testament. Like that helps us know our story. That would cue you up as to how you should feel about that location. But don't worry, I'm going to help you here and now. Tyre and Sidon, should we feel like more like Chattanooga or we should feel more like uh, North Korea? What's going on here? I'll tell you this, when the original audience would have seen Tyre and Sidon, they would have felt, uh, no, that's more like North Korea. Here's why. This is actually one of, really the only time we know of in Jesus' ministry where he goes outside the borders of, of, of Israel, traditional Israel. This is like his one international trip. Um, so, so where does he decide to go for his one international trip? Tyre and Sidon, if you want to plot it today, if you want to go on Google Maps, you would go to modern-day Lebanon. This is where he has ventured to, all right? So Jesus makes his one international trip. Where does he go and why does he go there? Well, first, I want you to think, um, think about last week and what Matt Litson preached about, right? Remember last week, Matt Litson was preaching about this reality that there is, uh, Jesus had a dust up with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were thinking about what's on the outside matters. These things like food and things like that, they make us unclean. And Jesus was like, you guys got it backwards, it's inside out. It's things inside us. It's our sinfulness that makes us unclean. So Jesus gets after him, right? He says, oh, you've got these traditions around hand washing. All right, you've got these traditions around Corbin. You've got these traditions that you've added to God's law, and you think by them that you can be made right with God. Um, they had traditions around Gentiles too. All right, you know, the... Um, the, the Jewish temple had an outer court for the Gentiles, right? So, so in God's plan, in God's design, there was an outer court for the Gentiles, but the Jews actually built more traditions. They said, well, if they've got an outer court, let's just be safe and let's not have anything to do with them, right? Let's never share a meal with them. Let's never come in contact with them so as not to make ourselves unclean. They added all these traditions. So here's what you need to know. Jesus has just had this dust up with the Pharisees about clean and unclean. And where does he go? He goes to Tyre and Sidon. He goes to the land of the Gentiles. Straight away, he goes to the land of the unclean. 
He goes to the land of God's enemies. So when you're reading that, when the original audience is reading that, they would be like, what in the world? Why is Jesus going to the outsiders? What, how do we make sense of that? So that's what we feel. That's the force when we read those names, Tyre and Sidon. And then what happens right when he gets there? Um, Mark tells us, all right, Jesus tried to lay low. All right, that, he, he goes there. We're told he didn't really want to be seen, but he's Jesus and word's gotten out. Immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And then Mark goes out of his way. Remember how he described the woman? She was a Gentile woman. She was Syrophoenician. Again, what's going on here? Basically, Mark wants to make it abundantly clear. He goes through kind of this shocking laundry list of reasons why it's like completely unthinkable that this woman would approach Jesus and find help from him, right? Like this, this list of like, she's a woman. Okay. Those are marginalized in this society, this day and age. She's, she's a Hellenistic Greek Gentile, like, right? Again, strike number two, and she's Syrophoenician. All right. I know you guys probably thought a lot about the Syrophoenician people this week, but in case there's some of you that didn't, you need to know they are an infamously uh, pagan culture, all right? You think Syrophoenician, and you think those are about as pagan as you can get. Mark wants you to make sure, without a doubt, who has fallen, where Jesus is at, a place no one would think of, who's at Jesus' feet, a person no one would think of. That's what's going on right now and right here. Um, this is an unlikely person. I, I don't know, who would that be for you today? Right, like who's the farthest person from Jesus you can think today? At George Mason's campus or at Fairfax High School or at the Pentagon, like in your world, who are you thinking like, yeah, there's no way they want anything to do with Jesus or would ever come to Jesus or Jesus would be ever, like who's that person? All right, that's who's at Jesus' feet right now. And you know what? Unclean Syrophoenician Gentile, she doesn't let any of that stuff stop her. She still runs to Jesus. Why? Because her daughter is troubled. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. And if you're a parent here this morning, you know that there's nothing that will stop you from getting help for your child. So she doesn't let anything stop her, and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus, asking him to heal her daughter. Um, she's, uh, the, the text tells us, Mark tells us that um, the daughter has an unclean spirit. Maybe you're visiting with us today. Uh, over the series, we've been talking about demons and spirits. You might be here, and you're like, I'm not down with that. That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not going to go back into it. I'm happy to chat after the service. But like Litson said a couple weeks ago, if you are going to hold to the belief in a spiritual being that is perfectly good and loving like God, you must also therefore hold that there are spiritual beings that may be evil. All right, that's as much as I'm going to say here, but if you want to talk about it afterwards, this lady's daughter is possessed by a demon and she wants Jesus to do something about it. Jesus can you heal 
my daughter. And do you remember what Jesus says? Like if you had to press pause right there and think of what would Jesus say to this lady who's desperate at, at his feet? Would anybody have guessed, you know what Jesus is going to say? He's going to say, let the children be first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You're like, what? Jesus, this, this lady's here begging for her daughter to be healed. And you're like given an illustration about kids and food and dogs. Like, what in the world is going on? Friends, Jesus, as he's done throughout so far, we've seen in these you know, first seven chapters, Jesus is he's teaching a parable. He's giving a parable here. Some of you might have heard and you know uh, the 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 teaching that Gentiles referred to as dogs by the Jews in that day and age, and they're There is some truth to that, but that's not at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And the word that Jesus uses for dogs is instructive. Jesus uses the diminutive word for dogs. Even in English, when we talk about dogs, sometimes we mean different things, right? We could talk about stray dogs, all right? Liz and I spent some time in South Africa, spent a lot of time in the townships. We called them township dogs, all right? Township dogs, some rough-looking dogs, all right? Or we could use a word like puppies, all right? When we talk about puppies, we think about something different than when we talk about stray dogs. Jesus is using the word in the language, the diminutive word for dogs, meaning pets. So that's the term he's using. And what he's doing is he's teaching a parable on order and priority and what he's come to do. All right, Matthew records a little bit more of the story. Remember, Mark's always just getting on with it. Matthew records a little bit more of the story, which helps us out. In in Matthew's recording, Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is saying, hey, there's an order of operations here. All right, I've come for the people of Israel. That's the priority. And he's speaking to a mom in a house, and he's saying, Lady, you know how this goes. There's an order to things. You just don't take the food and give it to the dogs directly. Like you feed your kids first. That's what he's saying. You feed your kids first. And it's interesting. Because just like when you're knocked back and kind of reeling from the the reality that Jesus gave that weird response, just as shocking is the lady's response to that, right? Because the lady takes zero offense, right, to that. What does she do? She actually understands and enters into the parable, right? And she says, all right, that's great. But we all know, uh, she's a mom, she knows, if there's food given to toddlers or children, uh, there's crumbs involved. Young parents, can I get an amen? Right? She says, there's crumbs involved. So could I just get one of those crumbs? That's all I'm asking for. She enters into and understands the parable. Jesus has been teaching these parables all along. Pharisees, blind to them. Disciples, confused by them. And here comes this Gentile, Syrophoenician woman. She sees and she understands And she says, I just, a crumb 
is enough for me. That's all I want. That's all I need. Notice a couple things in her response. This is why this shows us the way to Jesus, right? This is why it shows us the way to Jesus. Notice in her response, she doesn't demand her rights. She doesn't say, I am too a child. What are you talking about? I'm not a child. She doesn't say, I deserve to be sitting at the table. She doesn't, she doesn't say, check my performance or look at my credentials or look, none of that. She's willing to own the reality, I don't belong at the table. I don't deserve to be at the table. So she's willing to own that. And at the same time, she knows that just a crumb from this guy is enough. Just a morsel is enough to meet her needs. Friends, that's the way to come to Jesus. It's just to acknowledge, I don't have what it takes. You're right, I don't deserve it. But there's something in you that's enough to, to bring me to the table, to give me what I need. Right? We see it over and over again in Jesus. Jesus wants you to know, like, okay, um, if you're going to say that you're well, if you're going to demand and assert this, this, this reality that you're well, I can't do nothing for you. But if you're going to acknowledge you're sick, well, that's why I'm here. Right? If you're going to try to convince yourself and everyone around you that you're not lost and you know exactly where you're going, Jesus is like, I can't do nothing for you. But if you're willing to confess that you have uh, departed from the way and you come to Jesus, he says, you will never be lost again. That's the way to Jesus. This woman has found the way to Jesus. Her story shows us the way to Jesus. And she confesses, you're right, I, I don't have room uh, right at the table, but I'll just take a morsel. And Jesus is, he's astonished and he responds and she finds healing for herself and for her daughter. A couple things for us. There are some of us here, there are times when I think the reason I'm on Jesus' team is because he had a tryout and I made the cut right? It's winter sports season. We got swim tryouts. We got basketball tryouts. Sometimes I'm foolish enough to think the reason I'm on Jesus's team was because like I tried out and, you know, I got my life together and straight and narrow. And that's why I'm on Jesus's team. Such nonsense, right? Like, hey, kids who have recently got cut from teams, guess what? Everybody gets cut in Jesus' tryout, all right? All have sinned and fallen short from the glory of God. Uh, there's no way to get on the team except by confessing you don't have a hope. You couldn't do it. You're not qualified. You need Jesus to do something. So some of us, we just miss the joy of faith and patience with others because we've deluded ourselves into thinking we've made the team because of something in us. We kind of demand our rights. We're like, oh, no, we really are children. Instead of saying, like, no, actually, we're, yeah, we're, we're dogs, apart from the grace of Christ. Now, there's others of us over here who I think sometimes live in, like, a constant spiritual sadness. Like, we know our brokenness. We're happy to acknowledge that. But unlike this woman, we haven't seen that even a morsel of Christ's grace is enough, right? Like, we're constantly beating ourselves up, right? Like, it's a funny kind of pride that says, God's grace isn't sufficient to love me because of this divorce. God's grace isn't sufficient to love me because of this battle of addiction that I've had. 
right? Like God's grace isn't sufficient enough to love me because of all the ways I've screwed up as a parent. But that's a pride to set limits on what God's grace can do. This woman didn't have that pride. This woman knew what just a crumb of God's grace could do. This woman shows us the way to Jesus. We're going to go through this second encounter, and I promise we'll go quicker. Um, Real quick. All right. Second encounter, the way to Jesus, uh, or the first encounter, the way to Jesus. Second encounter, why we should run to him. All right. We're back in familiar territory. Jesus goes to Decapolis. Uh, If it sounds familiar, chapter 5, Jesus heals the demon-possessed man. All the pigs run into the water, right? Decapolis. That's where we're back. He's back there, okay? Someone brings him... um, a man that is deaf and has a speech impediment. This is why we should run to Jesus. Look how Jesus cares for this man. A man who's probably often a public spectacle, right? Because of the way he can't speak and his his deafness. Jesus takes him privately away from the crowd. And then did you notice how Jesus heals him? Right? Kids, this is what, imagine if someone did this to you. Jesus sticks his finger in his ear, all right? And then Jesus spits, all right? And then Jesus touches his tongue. What's going on? All right? This is weird. Um, so, like, is this kind of some spell that Jesus is doing, some ritual that's going on? Does this, he need to do this so that he can heal him? We know that's not the answer, right? Like, Jesus can speak a word, and he can heal someone in a different town. Jesus can heal someone if they just touch his robe. What Jesus is doing right here is communicating to this man. And the only way this man could understand him, what is going to happen and what he's doing. Tenderly entering into this man's world and communicating in the way that he can understand that healing is going to come to his ear and to his mouth. This is the Jesus we worship. This is why we run to Jesus. And there's one, one phrase I want to make sure we see. Verse 34. He's, he's done that, and it says, And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Uh, underland night, if you're in your Bible, he sighed. The Savior sighs. The King sighs. That is, he just feels the brokenness and the pain of this guy that he must have experienced for years. It it. It weighs on Jesus. He's not unbothered by it. Verse 34, he sighs. This is the incarnation. We're going to sing, heal us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God who was with us. God is with this man in his pain, and he sighs. That's why we run to Jesus, because he's not unbothered by it. He does not ignore the brokenness in our relationships, the brokenness in our bodies. He sighs. He cares for us. That's why we run to him. Again, Jesus speaks the word, be opened. The man is healed. And then there's that funny scene where Jesus is like, hey, guys, uh, I would like you to keep this on the down low. And everybody's like, sorry, Jesus, more people are going to have to hear about this, you know, and they just go and share it anyway. Friends, we can run to Jesus. Yes, he sighs there when confronted with the brokenness Uh, in this man, but it's just a foreshadow of the cry he will have on the cross when he takes care of all the brokenness and all the rebellion. When he's cast away so that we can be at the table, 
right? When he's actually treated like a dog so that we could be children. That's why we run to Jesus, because that's what he's done for us. That's, that's the hope of Christianity. That's the gospel. So as we go away from here, I pray that we would be those who know that the way to Jesus, all right, there is no one broke, too broken, too dirty that Jesus can't cleanse. In this auditorium this morning, in Fairfax, at Mason, wherever you're at, there's no one too broken. I pray we never become a people that look at others and think, oh, they're outside Jesus' Jesus' power to heal, but that people that are broken and have messed up lives would continue to come in among us to hear about this Jesus and find out the way to Jesus. And if we're going to run to Jesus, can I just encourage us to run to Jesus together? Do you notice as we go through Mark, Jesus heals in all kinds of different ways. We saw that today. We've seen that the whole time. He works in different people's lives in different people's ways. That's why we talk to you about being in community, all right? Because other people need to hear how Jesus has worked in your life, and you need to hear about how Jesus has worked in other people's life. We get these different facets of Jesus when we are in community. And sometimes you'll be going through something, and you need someone in your community that says, I've been there, and I've seen how Jesus has provided and worked. That's why we need community. Friends, the way to Jesus, why we should run to Jesus, let's ask him to work in our lives now. Pray with me. Father, help us to see our brokenness and to deal honestly with it. And save us from staying there. Help us also to see the mercy and extravagant love found in Jesus. If there's some here uh, this morning that haven't come to him, haven't tasted and seen that he is good and that Um, he came to bring life and life to the full. If there's anyone here this morning that hasn't done that, I pray you would work in their hearts, open eyes. Father, and if there are some of us who have just forgotten that or who, because of sickness or broken relationships, the clouds of those realities have dimmed the light of Christ, that, Father, you would part the clouds even for an hour, even even for a moment as we sing, Heal Us, O Emmanuel, that we might see the God with us, the Savior that sighs, that enters into our brokenness and has promised that one day, someday, it will be no more. It's in his name we pray. Amen.